Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening and God bless. A reading from God's word according to 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 1 through 12. Therefore, Get rid of all ill will and all deceit, pretense, envy, and slander. Instead, like a newborn baby, desire the pure milk of the word. Nourished by it, you will grow into salvation, since you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now you are coming to him as to a living stone. Even though this stone was rejected by humans, from God's perspective, it is chosen, valuable, You yourselves are being built like living stones into a spiritual temple. You are being made into a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Thus it is written in scripture, look, I am laying a cornerstone in Zion, chosen, valuable. The person who believes in him will never be shamed. So God honors you who believe. For those who refuse to believe, Though the stone the builders tossed aside has become the capstone, this is a stone that makes people stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Because they refuse to believe in the word, they stumble. Indeed, this is the end to which they were appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who are God's own possession. You have become this people so that you may speak of the wonderful acts of the one who called you out of darkness into his amazing light. Once you weren't a people, but now you are God's people. Once you hadn't received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, since you are immigrants and strangers in the world, I urge that you avoid worldly desires that wage war against your lives. Live honorably among the unbelievers. Today, they defame you. As if you were doing evil, but in the day when God visits to judge, they will glorify him because they have observed your honorable deeds. A word of God for the people of God. Good morning, friends. Uh, As uh, Rico mentioned earlier, my name is Christian Kuhn. I'm the uh, founding pastor of Urban Village, one of the founding pastors of Urban Village, and I'm also the, usually at our South Loop location, but it is uh, a pleasure to be with you here this morning. Um, <clears throat> let me let you in on a little clergy secret. Uh, there are times on Sunday mornings or Saturday nights where you just kind of, as, as Grant mentioned, the bedside Baptists, uh, there are times when clergy kind of feel that too, and you wake up, and uh, it's not because I knew I was coming to Hyde Park Woodlawn, but this morning was one of those mornings where I was kind of slow and getting going. But the spirit that's here uh, have revived me. So thank you for that, and thank you for this holy, holy space. So I'm a big, um, <clears throat> the folks at South Loop will tell you that I will often use an illustration that comes from a podcast. I'm a, a big podcast listener. And one of them that I usually listen to is This American Life, one of the more popular podcasts, and also it's on NPR. 
Uh, this American Life did a show that was actually uh, a rerun of sorts a few weeks ago called Kids Logic. And in that podcast, they did a segment called Small Thoughts in Big Brains. And the segment was about things that we learn as children that we believe to be true, but usually when you grow up, someone tells you, well, actually, that's not the way it is. So, for example, if you believe that there is a tooth fairy growing up, uh, at some point, someone says there really uh, is not someone who will float around and put the money under your pillow. But this segment was about, instead, uh, certain individuals who didn't learn that actually some of those things that we learn as kids actually are not true. And so we grow into adulthood thinking that certain things are true. So, for example, someone, when they heard about the Nielsen ratings, if you've heard about the Nielsen ratings, the Nielsen family ratings, ratings someone believed that that was only for people whose name was Nielsen. Uh, and they grew up, and somebody was talking about that, and somebody had to tell them, you know, that's not actually the way it works, right? <laughs> so there was another segment about this woman who was growing up, <clears throat> and she was talking about unicorns. And in her mind, the unicorn was really no different than the zebra. Uh, in fact, if you thought about dinosaurs, dinosaurs seemed much more fictitious than a unicorn did for a child. A dinosaur is really big, monstrous-type things, and a unicorn is really just a horse with a horn on it. So to her, a unicorn seemed perfectly plausible. So she had gone into adulthood, and she was at a party one night, and they were talking about endangered species. Uh, and so they were talking about different kinds of endangered species, and so she said, well, what about the unicorn? Do you think, is that extinct or is it endangered? Now I want to play for you uh, uh, what happened next. So go ahead and play this. Basically, there was a big gap of silence. As you might be gathering, at some point in all these stories, you come to a big gap of silence. And then everybody laughed. And then that laughter was followed by more silence when they realized I wasn't laughing. And um, I was like, yeah, I, oh, God. Uh, unicorns aren't real. Uh. <laughs> Sometimes we get to a point in our lives where we have in our minds the way something is, and then we realize when we talk to somebody else that they don't have that same image in their mind. So I wanted to talk about that a little bit as we reflect on the sermon series that we've uh, been uh, talking about, Radical Hope. Uh, as may have been mentioned last week. So we are certainly at a crossroads in a lot of ways, certainly in our society and in our culture and at our church, too. We are in the process of doing some pretty major things. So uh, Brandy mentioned the Church Without Walls audit that we are currently going through. Last week, we announced the rollout of a really pretty major restructuring of how we do lay leadership here. Two of our sites are moving. Our UBC used to be Andersonville. Officially today, UBC Edgewater, they are in a new space today. And the UBC South Loop site, still going to be South Loop, but we are moving again uh, in about three weeks. So lots of things are happening here. So we also are all kind of at a crossroads in our faith. So we thought it would be helpful for us to really reflect on who are we as Urban Village Church and to take another look at those things and how that lives into hopefully what we can be as radical hope how we can be radical hope for others, and how that is radical hope for ourselves, too. So last week, we unpacked our mission statement a little bit, and today we want to start looking again at these 
uh, values of who we are at Urban Village. Every Sunday we say that we are bold, inclusive, and relevant. Now, as I mentioned, so uh, Trey Hall, uh, who Greg mentioned earlier, and I uh, founded Urban Village, and the core values came pretty quickly to us, this whole notion of being bold, inclusive, and relevant. So whenever people have this conversation about what does it mean to be bold, I'm always taken aback a little bit, like I'm at a party, because in my mind, I know exactly what bold means, but then someone else may something else, and I'll be like, really? That's what you think bold is? And so it's helpful for us to really understand, like, oh, we're on a little bit different pages, so it's helpful for us to really talk about how we perceive bold is. Now, it's understandable to think that there are different definitions of bold. You might think that when we talk about bold, it means to be risk-taking or kind of putting yourselves out there. For us, when we talked about bold, we are really talking about being rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Being rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, you may think, what is so bold about a church saying that they are rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ? That doesn't seem terribly risk-taking but you would be surprised. Uh, And I think that's one of the reasons why we felt the need to start a church like this. Just this past week, I was looking on the website of another church. Uh, The pastor is a friend of mine, and when you talk about some of the things that Urban Village stands for and that they stand for, it kind of checks all of those boxes. But I had to really search around the website to find, is Jesus mentioned anywhere in what they are talking about? And I had to really find and search before I say, oh, there, there it is. And for us, we really wanted that to be front and center, to say that Jesus is the foundation of everything else that we do. And that's what, in our minds, anyway, means what it means to be bold. So when we say rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, I think it's helpful for us to then answer another question, and that is, who is Jesus? Because that can take you down another conversation. You might be at another dinner party, and in your mind, you know who Jesus is. And I'm sure some of you have been with others, and they have a really different perception of who Jesus is, too. And that can be a whole other thing. But today, I want to lift up two things that, among the many, that uh, made me decide to follow Christ in my own life and to dedicate my life to living in his footsteps. And we see this in this passage that we read in 1 Peter today. I want to particularly look at verse 7, but before I do that, just a little bit of a note about 1 Peter. This is a letter written to some churches uh, in what is today known as, what is today Turkey, uh, at the time around Asia Minor, and so it was written to these churches. And it was really written as a letter of encouragement, because many people had really made some pretty major changes in their life. They had converted. They had said, we are wanting to live into this who this Jesus person is. And some of them had to leave their families, which caused a lot of conflict. And some of them also were going against what it meant to be in the Greco-Roman society at the time. So there was a lot of conflict in their life. So this letter was written to help guide them, but also to give them support and encouragement and hope. And here in this passage, we're learning a little bit about who Jesus is. And in verse 7... That's what I really want to focus on here. It says this. To you then who believe, Jesus is precious. But for those who do not believe, and here the author quotes one of the Psalms, it says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head 
of the corner. The stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner. So here, of course, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the stone that the author is talking about. So interestingly here, two things about Jesus, about the foundation that he is lifting up, that this stone that they are centering everything on, that they're building this movement around, this stone was rejected. This stone was rejected. Now we can look back in the Gospels, of course, and see many instances of this. One of the more common ones happens in Luke 4, the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. And so Jesus is in this synagogue, and he is teaching, and he gives what some people call his mission statement. Jesus said things like, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free. Jesus shares this thing in Luke 4, 18 and 19. And then 10 verses later, the people are so disturbed by this that they literally want to hurl him off of a cliff. Rejected. And we see this happen time and time again. That this stone was rejected. So, I don't know about you, but to me, it seems like it's a fairly audacious thing to say, we're going to build our movement around one who was rejected. Because normally, when you want to build a foundation or want to build a movement, you are looking for something very strong and perfect, something that you know nothing will teeter over or anything like that. That's what you do when you build a movement. A few, uh, a while ago at one of our sites, we were hiring a new worship leader. And uh, the person was up front and was singing. And those of us who were listening to him had kind of a sense that he's just not probably going to be the best fit for us. And so after he played, we interviewed him and were talking with him and asking him some questions. And then in the midst of the interview, he said, yeah, I've been turned down 15 times by other churches, which I thought was a really interesting thing to offer <laughs> during a job interview. Now, normally, when somebody says that, uh, and then you, as a search committee, gather together, normally you don't say, so let's hire the guy who's been rejected 15 times by somebody else, right? Normally, you look for somebody who has that sterling resume, who you just know is going to be solid, Somebody that we can build around, not somebody who has been rejected time and time again. One of my favorite artists is a woman named Missionary Mary Proctor. I think we have a picture of, of her. And I became a fan of what are sometimes called folk art or outsider art several years ago. And um, I have a couple of pieces by Mary. Uh, she's based in Tallahassee, Florida. And one of the things I love about Mary's art is also her own story. She had a, uh, she ran a flea market in Tallahassee called Noah's Ark Flea Market. And before she became an artist, Mary collected things. You may know people like this, people who like to kind of keep things around and don't like to throw anything away. If any of you know people like that, or maybe you're one of those people like that too. And so Mary would collect buttons, bottle caps, 
doll parts, costume jewelry, watches, all kinds of things. She would just keep them and store them away. And at the time when she was collecting these things, she didn't know exactly why I am doing these things, but she kept collecting them. And then in 1994, tragedy struck Mary. Her grandmother, who helped raise her, who really was the guiding force of her life, her grandmother and her aunt and uncle died tragically in a trailer fire. And she went through, understandably, a time of remorse, lamenting many times over the next year, wondering why this would happen to her. And then a year later, she decided to really sit with God and get a sense of why this had happened to her. And so she fasted. She tells the story. She would go under a tree and fast and only drink water. And on the 30th day of this fast, she was reading the scriptures. She tells about this vision that she had. And she had a sense from God that she was called to begin painting. She'd never been an artist before. But then she had a sense from God that she was called to paint doors. And so she went outside in her flea market and she happened to have some old doors and she had a sense from God that she was supposed to be painting these doors, that these doors were key to this art that she was going to create. And so she began this process and she began to paint on doors and she would paint Bible stories and she would paint stories of forgiveness and grace and she had a sense from God, you know those old battle, bottle caps and doll parts and buttons that you were collecting now is when I want you to use them. And so she would take all of these things that were rejected by others and started incorporating them into these pieces, these beautiful pieces of art that now go for thousands of dollars. And it's stuff that others don't want. The piece that I have is an old broken plate, and it tells about a story of grace and forgiveness when she would break a plate as a child and her grandmother would forgive her. And that's one of the reasons I love this art. She has taken what others have rejected and have created something beautiful out of it, something beautiful that also tells the story about who God is in their life. This faith at this time that First Peter was written was based on one who was rejected, as we read in this text. To me, that's a pretty bold and audacious thing to do, to create your foundation around rejection. The second thing you may notice about this verse here in 7 near the end of this passage was this. It said, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner, or in other versions, the cornerstone. You may have heard this phrase before, that Jesus is the cornerstone of the faith. There are songs talking about Jesus as the cornerstone of the faith. But did you ever notice something about cornerstones? If you've seen a building, there's cornerstones that says when the building is built and so on. But those cornerstones are also where? On the edge. Cornerstones, and they usually come to a sharp point. Jesus is the cornerstone. Sometimes when we think about stones, maybe you've used stones before. I've used stones in worship service, and usually the kind of stones that I get are always very smooth, very nice to hold in your hands. 
But as you probably know, too, stones can also be very sharp and very edgy. That's often how stones are. Several years ago, I went on a retreat at a monastery out in the western suburbs that I would often go to. And I was reading this book by Barbara Brown Taylor called An Altar in This World. And she was talking about different kinds of spiritual practices. And one of the practices that she was talking about was walking. Walking the earth as a way to draw closer to God. And as I was reading this chapter, she also encouraged people to not only walk, but also, she said, to walk barefoot out in the world to literally take off your shoes and to begin to walk and to feel at one with the earth and to walk slowly and to imagine that God, that Jesus is walking with you as you do this. And so I was feeling up for it. It was a nice July day. And so I took off my shoes and I went in back of the monastery. And the monastery has this really lovely little orchard in the back and also this little vineyard. And so I took off my shoes and I started walking. And the grass felt wonderful. And so I started feeling that on my feet and I was walking back toward the vineyard and I just had this awesome feeling of God's presence in my life. I was walking slowly. I was doing all the things, feeling the sun on my face. And then as I started making my way back there, I remembered that the path to go to the vineyard looks a little bit like this, right there, meaning those are lots and lots and lots of very sharp stones. And that's the only way that you can get back to the vineyard. And it wasn't just a few feet. It was a long path, a very long path to get back to that vineyard. And so I stood there, and these stones were right in front of me. And I wondered to myself, should I go back and put my shoes on? Maybe God won't mind, right, if I put my shoes back on and walk over the stones and take them back off to get that nice, soft grass to get back to the vineyard. But I thought, well, no, this is part of the process, too. So I started walking on those stones, and it hurt. And I had to go so slowly. Like if you've ever walked on something sharp or hot pavement, perhaps on a summer day, or hot sand on the beach, and you're just kind of walking ever so gingerly and slowly. And that's what I was doing as I was walking along these stones. But it also, in a weird way, helped me to feel very alive. The sharpness and the edges of those stones on my feet reminded me, too, a little bit of the sharpness and the edge of the one that I walk with. Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith. Sometimes in our minds we desire a Savior who comforts us. As Greg kind of knows, we want that Savior who will go with us under the blankets and take us away from everything. And at times in our faith, that's a good thing to have, but that is not all that Jesus is. Sometimes Jesus, the one who was rejected, the one who was sharp and edgy, the one who was constantly going out there and meeting with others who were on the edges of society. Those were the ones that Jesus went to, the cornerstone of our faith. That's what it means, I think, when we follow in Jesus' footsteps to be 
bold because we too, as this passage tells us, are called to be living stones. That we are called to be built up, to be part of this movement that Jesus started and that First Peter talks about and has gone over through the centuries. That we are called to be living stones, which can be helpful for us sometimes when we too have felt rejected by someone, by something, when we have felt rejected, that we can take solace, that we are that living stone, knowing that Jesus, too, was rejected, and that that helps us to reach out to others who are rejected or have been rejected, too. And then also that we are living stones, and those kinds of stones that are sharp and that have edges, that we can have the strength to be living stones and to go out into the world and at times rub up against someone and they may draw back just a little bit. Maybe you've had that experience of somebody either in your family or a coworker or a friend and when you're truly living into and walking in, in Jesus' footsteps and when we do so and someone steps back and thought, oh, I thought Jesus was just the one who gathered the little children up. But instead, when we follow in Jesus' footsteps, Others may take a step back and say, I'm not so sure about what it is that you're doing, and yet we are being faithful to the one, the stone, the cornerstone of our faith. Friends, I think that's what it means to be bold, to live this out in our own faith, because we follow one who was bold too, and we follow in the footsteps who decided to build a movement around the one who lived and died and was resurrected, the ones who decided that this one who was rejected, this is where we will start with this one. And so it is today. May you and I also be living stones that we can go out in the world, those of us who have been rejected and reach out to others who have been rejected too, those of us who have felt Maybe the pinch of Jesus in a powerful way can go out and be on the edges ourselves too. Let us be living, bold, audacious stones that we can continue to build up this movement that Jesus calls us to be about. Let us pray. Holy, loving, and gracious God, we give you thanks for the boldness of who Jesus was and who Jesus is today. We pray that you would give us the courage and the strength in our day-to-day -day lives to live into that, to live into that call that Jesus places on our lives. May he be the cornerstone of our own faith, that we would sense his presence with us when we go out as living stones into this world too. So we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.